playbook. It's a private practice playbook. Playbook. All right. Well, welcome. So let's get to work. It's great to have you guys today. I'm Jay Geyer. I'm going to be your host today. And uh, in the studio here in Alpharetta, Georgia. And uh, we are talking about culture lessons. And I get the topic of how to retain top talent. So why do you need to be good at retaining top talent? The answer is, is that it is a plus, plus, plus transaction financially. And the benefit of the organization to have high performers is that it sets the standard. Now, what a lot of people don't realize about high performing people is that sometimes they can be a little high maintenance too. And sometimes we just get so focused on the behavior and we, we don't pay attention to the economics. We need to pay attention to the economics and the behavior. So the general idea behind human capital, which I'll just read to you, is it's about people and performance, okay? And so what I want to remind you about everything to do with talent, it works like this. If you recruit a non-talented person and then we try to train them, what's going to happen? Not much. You got to understand if you want to grow your department, you want to grow your area, you want to have a great practice. I don't care. We, we can't train people with no talent. People with no talent refuse to accept training. They, they don't, they don't do it. I want you to write this down. Get talented people and then train them. Get talented people, then train them. See, that's actually the formula. It's not take anybody you can get your hands on, decide if they're worth training. See, people have sick, disturbing views. I mean, what a lot of people think they, they do is they go hire a person who they're not sure if they're good or not, then I say, well, why don't you train them? And they say, well, I don't know if they're good enough to train. I was like, well, why are they on your payroll if they're not good enough to train? So what I want you to get out of this today is to understand that that, that, that is a level of thought that should not exist in your practice. You need to elevate your recruiting to talented people. And that's all I'm going to talk about today what talented people want. Because I really don't care what non-talented people want because you don't want non-talented people. And it turns out that non-talented people actually want the exact opposite of what talented people do. So diagnostically, one of the things that you also need to understand, if you're applying, if you're applying, you know, thinking about wax on kind of thing, you're, 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 applying what talented people want to non-talented people, there's a typical reaction to that. And it's not particularly favorable and can get very confusing. So a little bit of your job is to know, okay, what makes up talented? What makes up non-talented? Okay, in my job, if I 
do this to a talented person, how do they react? If I do it to a non-talented person, how do they react? And you have to be able to diagnose those conditions. And they're very different responses, okay? So people, I believe people have, and I found this to be true, they, and this is talented people, that they have more capability than they're expressing, and it's obviously our job to get that capability out. Now, this is the big five in a new format. And what you will see, and I want to share this with you because all of your doctors are being taught this, that what we have done is we have taken the financial piece and circled the other four. So as we talk about how to retain top talent, I'm here to tell you that this is a financial exercise. And you ought to have a little basis about understanding the money of it, not be oblivious to it. And so there is a financial benefit for the organization and everybody in it. And I want you to understand that before we start to talk about just the parts that relate to the human capital. So doing it incorrect is going to cost your organization money. Doing it correct is going to cause the organization to grow. So the first step is to look at it financially then go and work with the human capital. So when I talk about what's the cost of losing a talented team member, the reason you want to know the cost, the reason you want to know the cost is then it tells you what you should do not to pay that cost. It's kind of like, all right, well, Jay, what's the cost of keeping a non-talented team member. Hmm. You got to know how to calculate that cost. Because if you don't, what you're going to do is you're going to keep a non-talented team member for long periods of time, and it's going to cost your organization the opportunity to grow. And these two types of people have friction. So we'll, we'll unwrap some of that. So what we want to understand is there is a financial reason why you as a manager, leader, whatever your title is, you want to understand this about yourself. There is a, there are economic variables that you should understand. And if you make bad decisions, then you actually end up costing the business money, which I don't think any of you would, I, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and say, I don't think you would intentionally do that but I see people unintentionally do it all the time. So kind of today forward, you can do it unintentionally because I've taught you the lesson. Now, I wanna, I wanna walk you through something. Leadership, okay? Some of you, if you're on this, I'm assuming that you aspire to some level of leadership in your organization. And when, they, when they, they say, well, what is the number one predictor of someone being a successful leader? It is actually their ability to coach. So if you want to know how you should pick your leaders, you should pick them based on their ability to coach, not based on their productivity. Now, what's interesting, and I want you to think about this, so today... I'm coaching you. And when we talk about ability to be coached, it's can you 
process this information? Can you take it and can you apply it? Can you turn it into something? And you certainly can, but when you say, well, what dictates whether somebody is going to be a good coach or not, right? So you say, well, how is somebody, how do you know if somebody's a good coach? It's really kind of funny. It's how they give feedback and how they receive it. And one of the biggest issues you have with managing top talent is that the manager is actually not a good manager. And the manager is uncomfortable giving feedback and receiving feedback. So it's funny. If somebody works for you, are they good at receiving and giving feedback? Are you good at receiving and giving feedback? And you ask almost anyone this question, and you know what they say? I am tremendous at it. I've never had anyone say, I'm terrible at it. Most people are convinced that they, uh, they have given feedback, but when you go in an organization, you survey the people below them and you say, do you get feedback about your performance? The answer is no, I haven't gotten any feedback on my performance whatsoever. So I tell you that because one of the attributes of retaining and coaching talent is the ability to give and receive feedback. And it's so fascinating how difficult that is for a lot of people. And there is an, uh, so I want you to think about this. I want you to think about, are you a good coach? And if, and if you've never thought about it that way, then I want you to start to work on being a better coach, okay? Be a better coach because it will help you retain talent. And what it'll do is it'll help you listen. Most of the way, when you talk about receiving feedback, it's listening to what you're seeing or what people are doing. And sometimes it's even listening to what they're not saying, which think about that one, listening to what they're not saying. Did you get that? This is a test on how smart you are. I mean, that's difficult. And some people would even say, well, how could I possibly do that? Well, you look at body language, you look at gestures, you, you sometimes have to use your intuition, you know, like I think they're unhappy. You walk up to a person who's unhappy and you say, are you unhappy? And they go, no, I'm perfectly fine, I'm just tired. <laughs> okay, tired? <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm just saying intuition is a part of, of what this is. So attracting, retaining top talent. So the first thing you have to do is that has to become your culture. So what I want you to think about today is this is, is your culture, because here's the deal, I'm gonna tell you this. Thousands of organizations I've worked with, here's the unchecked way they do it. Got a group over here, one person is supposed to hire somebody new. Okay, we all together? Okay. They don't really know what they're doing, so they post an ad, do some interviews, and they look at everybody. And if, and by the way, all humans have insecurity, right? So they size them all up and they go, okay, that one's too pretty. Oh, that one's too tall. That one's, I don't know. 
and they go, and they might even hire somebody like less than them. And the reason they do that is so that they feel that they could be superior to that person in some kind of disturbing way, obviously. And this is all subconscious. So I, in the old days, I used to always say, listen, my hiring philosophy is better looking and smarter than me. That's like, you get that? If they're better looking than me, smarter than me, I think you should hire them. And, and that was actually kind of a very, I'm sure today you can't say that, you know, so pretend that I didn't actually say that, but there was a reason for that. And the reason I was actually trying not to hire an insecure person, an insecure, write that down. Do not hire an insecure person. Going to be very toxic. So I want to hire somebody who has some confidence. And so, but remember, if you're the person who does the hiring, do you, because you know what this says? This says, I'm okay to hire a person who actually is going to surpass me. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. You want to hire a person. If you bring somebody in the organization, you want someone to excel. And there's a lot of inherent competition that goes on in organizations that people don't recognize. So the goal of attracting talent is again, to bring in a person who we know is talented, we know is confident, not overconfident and unrealistic, has a track record, and then give them an opportunity to excel. So it's important that we start with some of those things because again, I've seen people in a position of power hire everyone who was inferior to them and then thinking that they were going to do what with them manage them to success no is all they were really going to do is manage them to be their minions who don't compete against you or threaten you in any shape form or fashion so the commitment you've got to make is to change the whole thing is, listen, our culture is we want the best people. You guys should be going after the best people right now. Listen, post COVID, a lot of people are saying, I don't know, you know, did my doctor treat me right? Now's the time to go get the best people, you know, pluck those people out, move them over to your office. And you also got to remember that other people might come after your best people. Who knows? And you got to be aware of that. That's why this strategy is so important. And the cost of losing a really talented person. See, because you got to remember what you know about a talented person is the known is they're talented. Yeah, they might have a flaw. But I always say the secret to life is like knowing what the flaw is. That's why you do testing and various things because you can work around the flaw. And, and so we want to be careful about taking a known successful person, letting them leave and trading them for an unknown person who we don't, we're taking our chances on. And again, remember that you don't want to be in the business, right? We were thinking about uh, uh, people ultimately determine the success of your organization. That's human capital. So particularly the people that we've already trained they have a lot of knowledge. If you mismanage them, that's why they leave. 
So we have a rule in, our, in, my, in my office that I've recently put in, and I had noticed every once in a while this thing would occur like this, and I've seen this in a lot of your offices where somebody leaves. And the manager says, well, you know, I mean, it's okay. And they weren't that great. <laughs> and, and, and today I'm like, whoa, 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 back up. What do you mean they weren't that great? Why did they work here? <laughs> so like one of the questions I would ask you right now is if you got anyone who's not great, I suggest you get that handled <laughs> because you can't, you, you can't attract and retain good talent and attract and retain non-talented people at the same time. Like the two don't work together. Every time you retain one who's not talented, you lessen the work you can do with the talented people. So let's talk a little bit about high achievers, top talent, what they want versus other people. And there is a difference in the two. And what I, you know, I always say, if you're gonna make your practice about your worst patient, you're gonna have a horrible practice. If you make your practice about what the best patient wants, you're gonna have a great practice. Same thing here. We wanna, we wanna run the culture, run the meetings, run our processes for what the most talented person needs. And, and then not let the bottom build up. So here's one of my favorites. We had Nick Saban come to our first culture fest. Mediocre people don't like high achievers and high achievers don't like me mediocre people. Like, ah! So obviously, in the context of football coaching, what he's saying is that the, the high achieving person, the one who does the practice, does the training, does everything, gets a little irritated working with people who don't put in the effort. And by the way, a lot of people don't have it up here, but they have it here. So this isn't about IQ smarts, okay? Those will help. If you're not, if you don't have it here, then you can bring it with the heart. And I've seen plenty of people who will out, I can outwork, I, I, don't, I don't exactly know where I fit in the smarts game. Like I've never really been an IQ person, like, like know what my IQ is. And, Cause I always wanted to have street sense, right? And so maybe, you know, some IQ people think, oh, they're really smart, but really functionally, they're not that smart. So remember, you, you're gonna come with your brain and, and you're gonna come with your heart. And, and, you know, they both play an important part in how you set yourself apart as a talented person. But you, so remember this. So if you're a high-performing person in a bunch of mediocre people, you know, every child in a classroom in America today I didn't has the pressure that if they try to be exceptional, that all the mediocre kids will criticize them. And that's been going on for years and years. It's just gotten worse. Now they probably take a picture of it and post it and say, look at this fool studying, you know. You're, why are you getting good grades? You're ruining it for the rest of us. We'd rather have a curve, you know. And, and, and there's just enormous pressure from the mediocre people to dumb down high-performing people. So... Don't expect, so when you find friction between two people, what's the first thing you gotta ask yourself? What is this? Is this a cat bite or is this a mediocre and a high performer having an argument? 
<laughs> That's a very different way to look at it, right? So again, any, any conflict, one of the first things I usually do is I look and go, what is, what's happening here? And what I have noticed is sometimes high performers are less worried about some of the making everybody happy. And sometimes they just want to perform. And so they require sometimes some help around the edges so that, so that that behavior doesn't become the focus, right? And sometimes it can literally become unbearable. So we're going to talk about, uh, let's see. So Chick-fil-A, I love this. I want you to get this burned into your head, right? Because Chick-fil-A is a great company based here in Atlanta who has this magic system of training young people to be incredibly polite and incredibly professional. And, and if you walk into a Chick-fil-A or you drive through or whatever, and then you go to McDonald's, I promise you, you're going to feel the difference. And it's around the way they treat people and their culture. But they did, we've, we had a, we've had them, we've done a lot of work with a few of their executives. And, and so they did a study and I thought this was great. And they wanted to find out because they were, you know, they were looking at this issue. And in order to maintain their standard, they realized that they really needed to figure out were they, were they, attracting the best people and really wanted to do a study of what these people really want and try to call it down to something very simple. So this is, this was very important. And, and, and I'm going to teach you this for two reasons. Number one, it's research based, right? So you, you got to get it. Okay. And then number two, it makes very clear. It's a clear strategy for what you need to do. In other words, and what I'm looking for is for you to put something in place that matches this. Okay. So, so for instance, we're going to go through them and then we'll touch on, on each one of them. So, okay. Number one, and this is fantastic. So again, this is not what do the worst people want, but what do the best people want? And it says they want a better boss, kind of boss that cares about his or her employees or team members or whatever you call them consistently engages with their efforts and is a competent leader. That's a pretty, that's a mouthful. And if you went around and you read that line to every person in management in every company in the United States of America and said, how are you doing? Are you the kind of boss who cares about his or her employees? Are you constantly engaging in their efforts? And are you a competent leader? And I would be fascinated to see what they would say, because I do not think that they, they check those boxes. As a guy who's run a company for 30 plus years, there have been times I've been so far off of those boxes. I get, uh, every time I, I give somebody up to a new manager, I risk that those boxes cannot get checked. I mean, this is not easy stuff. Well, what is constantly, you know, what is consistently being involved with them? You know, if we don't define it, their version might be every day. You might think that's once a week. We don't know the difference. But here's what I will tell you is everybody in your organization 
who wears that boss hat. That's the doctor, that's every team leader, that's anybody in implied management. This, you gotta kinda live by this. Every morning you ought to get up and you ought to say to yourself, okay, what am I gonna do that says I care about someone today? And that is not easy to do. And can you do it every day? Probably not. But the question is, if you don't give it a shot every day, I mean, if you got 10 people who work for you and, okay, and you do one person a, a, a day, all right, then in a month, you could touch everybody three times. And again, it's gotta be authentic and it's gotta be meaningful. And so how do we do this? How do you engage in their effort? I want you to understand this. If you are someone's boss, listen, I've always said, you know, there have been times in, in, in my career where, you know, I'm saying I want you to be a coach. And one thing I've learned about people who work for you is sometimes they won't even tell you they don't know anything. Like they won't, you know, you, you go, you give them something and they don't go, I have no idea how to do that. Sometimes they'll take it. Like, and so being intuitive enough and, and understanding that managing is coaching. And sometimes the reason they don't do what you want them to do is that they literally don't know how to do it and you haven't stepped into that space with them enough. And said, hey, let me show you how to do it. Let's do this together. Let's do this together like 10 times and then let me, let me watch you. Getting in with them what, whatever, whatever level of detail, right? And then learning how to switch it to how to spend less time. So what I want you to do is I want you to take a minute and I, and I want you to really ask yourself, how the heck are, is your team doing at those? And I don't care what you say, we gotta go ask the people below to find out. So see, somebody in your organization has to get down to the people and say, hey, do you have a boss that cares about you? Who is it? And by the way, sometimes as the head of the organization, listen, I mean, they may feel like I care about them, but then, then they may also say, well, there's realities to what Jay could do with everybody, right? But, but it'd be very easy for them to say, well, he's just too busy for me, you know, that kind of thing. So you gotta keep working at it. But I want you to gut check your organization. I want every single person in your organization to become a better boss. And that is, tell me what you did. And start keeping track of the things that you do because you're developing a system for being a better boss. And, and the competition is this. Remember, if I, wanted, if I wanted to take all your people, here's what I would do. I would just find out how good you're doing here, and then I'd just do a little better, and I could take them. I'm not gonna take your people, but you get the drill. So you, you guys wanna look around at every other office, good offices, what are they doing? Can we stay a step ahead so that these people don't think about going to get another boss? Ugh, when I first heard this one, it was really challenging. So one technique is being relational, not transactional. It's funny, I was, we did a lunch the other day and I was sitting with a group of people and I sat down and I wanted to talk about something else and then I got on this roll about some work thing and, and it was about, and I, and I just, I got up and I was like, okay, that, that wasn't, I mean, I was like giving a seminar on what I, wanted, what I wanted them to say. And I was really just trying to sit there and have a conversation like, hey, how's life? And it, and it, and it, and it, 
I kind of turned it a little, a little transactional, right? I was like, I want to make sure you guys understand this so that when you see this, you can you know, respond appropriately. And it, and it really wasn't relational, right? And I had bought them lunch to try to be relational, but then I turned it into a seminar, which is actually transactional. I got up, I was like, that was not loud. And, I, and, and you know what I, they want to know is like, well, do you have, a, you have a dog? What's your dog's name? See, that's the difference between being relational and being transactional, you know. You got a new cat, what's your cat's name, you know? What'd you do for Easter? Right? That's, that's relational. And, and you can't be all relational, like buddy, 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 because you got you to gotta do work but you got to maintain a, enough personal knowledge that they feel that there's a connection between the two of you. And the second thing is building trust. So the, if you start saying, well, Jay, I want to be a better boss, uh, and, and, it, and if you want to know well, how to monitor your organization, these are two areas that we work on. And so when you think about relational versus transactional, here are some examples. So if I, if I, so by the way, this is my, uh, so a lot of times you guys will see me in an event, I wear a suit and a tie and I look very formal, um, but in the office I wear this. I usually have a jacket on and, because it's more approachable than the suit, okay? So believe it or not, it's actually about trying to be more relatable. Now I tend not to show up like in my yoga clothes, so to speak, or my workout stuff, because then I would lose a little credibility. So we wanna kinda figure out what that looks like. So there's a physical aspect to approachableness, uh, mutual interest, um, giving, uh, conflict resolution, caring, accepting. Um, you know, it's like somebody makes a mistake, you know. Yeah, everyone's idea, I think, with me is that if you make a mistake, Jay's going to be mad. Any person that's ever made a mistake around me and, th and that I found out and had a conversation with them, I don't get mad. I get mad if it's hidden from me, right, for 12 months. Normally, I'm the best guy you could ever make a mistake around because I'm really good at saying, hey, listen, you know, here's, here's, did you get the lesson? Great, let's move on. Like, I'm actually really good at that. I actually don't get mad. I actually love finding out about mistakes, you know? And so the question becomes is, think about your boss right now. Do you guys have a relationship and, or is it transactional? And again, I'm telling you, this one is tough. And it takes a lot of work to kind of move it, and you can't go too far, particularly, you know, now there's all kinds of things you got to be careful of. So, some things, right? So, I haven't been in the office this quarter, I wasn't in the office a lot, as an example, and I was down at our training center and I wasn't at our corporate office. So, last week I'm in the office and I hadn't been there in a while, and so I was like, all right, I'm gonna do a walk around. And so, a walk around is this thing 
like normally what would happen is I'd get in my office and it would just be like work, 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 work. And, and then the day's over and everyone comes in and leaves and I never see them. But it, so it was a walk around. So walk around is where you, I went office to office and I stopped in everybody's office that was there and just checked in with them and see how they were doing. And just had a conversation and said, hey, how you doing? Great to see you. And you know, sometimes we talk about business, sometimes we talk about nothing. A couple of the rooms I'd walk into, they were having a meeting, so it was a little awkward. They're staring at me like, why are you here? Like they wanted me to have some sort of dictator purpose or something. And I was like, I just came to say hi. And they were like, okay, well, would you allow, can you leave now? Because we're having a meeting. It's kind of funny. They didn't really say that, but I appreciated the, the awkward, you know, silence. So I just slowly backed out. But think about that. So, and you know, a lot of people don't, they think, well, does that matter? Look, and, and by the way, is it, number one, is it easy to do? Yes, it's actually kind of fun but you actually got to do it. And two, you know, do you do it every day? No, it's not what we're saying, but you got to do it at some frequency. S calling people by their name, thoughtful gifts, passing compliments, ask about their kids or their dog or whatever. I mean, I think it's a great strategy, public praise. Listen, a great boss will praise their person in front of whoever the, the super boss is, so to speak, right? Like the best compliment you could ever give. If I, if I my problem is like I'm the, whatever, I'm the top guy, right? So it's, so if I praise somebody, I can't praise them, you know, above me. So it's like, okay. And sometimes I have to be careful because if I praise them in front of somebody else and the other person's like, I think that's Jay's favorite. So it's even trickier. But if I had people and I had a boss and there was a legitimate reason, I'd praise them right in front of the, the big boss and give them all the credit because that would just, oh, that'll, that'll just be like, that'll make the blood flow in their bodies at a higher level and pick up their energy instead of maybe the perception that you take credit for their work, you know? Thank you. Good job. You got to train yourself. Now, remember, this is the positives. If these are not warranted, you better not say them. You know what I've seen people do? Say this to people who don't deserve it. And that is toxic. Enjoying this episode? Want more tips on how to be a better boss? How to retain top performers and how to attract the best job candidates? Get more at www.siculturefest.com. They actually, you gotta give them the other kind of feedback. Okay, because remember, this is about giving and receiving feedback. So when somebody does something, you know, not right, not saying something is like endorsing it and that's, that's a major problem. So you got to have, there was a, uh, I think it was in one of Stephen Covey's books and it was called The Emotional Bank Account. And what they say about this is that, you know, when you make deposits into people's emotional bank accounts, right? But then for some reason, if you don't have a lot of deposits and you subtract it, you can get in a negative. And so when you go to give someone negative feedback, it's always a little nice that you've built up a lot of, a lot of deposits. And so they don't, 
just take it all as a, as a negative. And so as a boss, you gotta be aware of that. So trust is really important when it comes to culture. Now, again, if you asked everyone, does everyone trust you? Almost everybody says people trust them. So how is it that, I'll tell you a funny story. So I'm on the beach the other day. I live on the beach and I took the dogs out and we have a private beach, which means we own the beach. And so in very busy times, we will block it off and, and ask people not to come on the beach and they can go over to that, to that beach. And, you know, and, and of course this is very trying for them. You know, they're very, oh, they just can't, they just can't imagine why they can't go on that beach. You know, it's like this foreign concept for them. You know, why 27 teenagers all illegally drink. They can't figure out why I don't want 27 teenage boys drinking on our private property when they're underage. Like they can't fathom why that's not something I would be interested in. So I was watching these people and something happened and, and I went down and I had said something to this lady and, and the husband lied and I had seen it and he just lied. And, I, and, I, and it was so funny because I was like, I didn't go, I don't pick a fight. But he literally just, I saw it because I watched it, he saw it. And then he didn't know I saw it. And he literally lied right in front of me, right in front of his wife about his kids. I didn't say a thing, but I thought, I had this epiphany. I thought, son of a gun, people actually are so dumb that they lie right in front of people thinking that they don't know. I mean, I'm thinking this poor guy, I'm like, I hope you don't do that at work, buddy. I, I mean, I hope, and then I was thinking, well, now I know why if I asked his kid the same question, the kid would lie. Because he lies about nothing. And so what we're talking about here is this white lie thing, this lie of omission. There's so many ways people lie. A lie is a lie is a lie. And so again, if you said, well, do people trust you? Everyone would say, yeah, 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 everyone trusts me. Like if I, I think this guy would think, I would never trust that guy. And, and to be honest with you, I don't understand how his wife could trust him because he literally sat there and lied to a perfectly, a stranger for no reason whatsoever. And he thought it was cute. And I just walked away with this like, it was very instructive for me because I was like, that is really sad that people waste their energy lying about things that are so inconsequential. And so you need to watch every word that comes out of your mouth, everything that you say, and I'm just telling you, if you, if you were brought up in any environment where you, this was a good strategy, it's not, it's horrible. And it should not be done. And People are suspicious about people's motives. They are, okay? And so, and when that happens, then everything gets tainted in a certain way. And so what you are challenged with when you're trying to develop trust with people, I mean, imagine the complexity of that is like, do I tell you this or do I not tell you this? I mean, this is the thing about the truth. Like in our organization, I tell everyone, can we just tell the truth? But then they're like, well, I'm afraid if I tell you the truth, there's gonna be consequences. Why? That's a fear in your head that's not accurate. Let's just tell the truth. And people have this really warped version of it. So let me show you kind of how this works. So trust is so cool, because here's the deal. 
You have to develop a self-trust that you believe you can attract talented people. You have to develop a self-trust that says, this place can handle talented people. We deserve talented people. We're not going to compromise. I mean, that has to come from within somewhere, right? It's like you have to develop. Part of what I'm doing today is I'm trying to develop that in you, right? And so what's crazy is most people in the world at the very first ring are toast. They actually don't even trust themselves. So it's kind of funny. And then that's why you can't develop trust in relationships. And then ultimately why organizational trust doesn't go. So everyone listening to this today, when you talk about trust, listen, I, I'm, 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 I'm saying, hey, do you believe and trust you can be a better boss? If the answer is no, we're in trouble. Why would anyone else believe you? Let's try that again. You know, a lot of people think that power is a bad word. Like I'm going through this thing right now in our CEO group where as doctors are transitioning to be CEOs, I'm trying to teach them, you know, where do you get your power from? And we did some cool questioning recently and got the results back. And a lot of people think power is a negative word. Power is a positive word. Everything you do, if you go into it without trusting yourself, then anybody around you is not going to trust you either. Because that's the step. Relational trust is me to you. If you come into this and you think I have some secret agenda to try to ruin your life, which I don't, then you're not going to have relational trust with me. A lot of you have been listening to my advice for years. You know my advice works. We have trust. You just go do it. So if something isn't working, if something isn't working, another thing you've got to remember is, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Am I presenting it like I believe it or am I presenting it like I don't believe it? And is it actually that they don't trust me? One of the hardest things, listen, we're going to be doing some exercises, you know, with clients over the next few years regarding surveys and things. And, you know, some people are going to learn that there's less trust than, than you might think there is. So concentrate on your self-trust. Then you can go to relational trust. So pretty, pretty sub significant and substantial. So when you talk, best book on trust, speed of trust, pick it up, read it. You want to grow, spend your own money on it, whatever. Fantastic book. Lays it all out. Can't do it all for you today. Um, like, let me pick one. Trust is built solely on integrity. Most people don't even know what integrity is. I remember one of my kids one time said, what, Dad, what is character, you know? And he was in high school, but it was funny. He was like, what does that even mean? And I was like, what a great question, right? Because it's so complex. Trust is a function of both character and competency. So when somebody is incompetent, we tend not to trust them. Once lost, trust cannot be restored. Myth, though difficult, in most cases, lost trust can be restored. 
Can you teach trust? Or you can't teach trust. Trust can be effectively taught and learned. It can become a leveraged ability and a strategic advantage. So you can learn to get people to trust you. What are we talking about? Being a better boss. Relational, develop trust. There is a tremendous movie on Apple TV right now called Ted Lasso. And it's about this guy who becomes a soccer coach and he knows he's a football coach in America but becomes a football coach in Europe. And, and I started watching, I said, this thing is goofy, but then I realized the magic of Ted Lasso. And Ted, if you watch Ted Lasso, you see he's being relational. And he, and he has all these things he does that are relational and trust building. And they're very, very good. So if you're looking for something to watch that has a trust lesson and a relational lesson, little Ted, Ted Lasso. Okay, number two, what do they want? A brighter future. Now what's interesting, you gotta remember, when you tour somebody through your office and you take them in the break room and you say, listen, we're going five times, we focus on culture, we do trainings, we do this, you wanna tell them that whole story up front and a good, talented person gonna be like, hell yeah, I wanna work here because I want all that stuff, man. And the person, another person will be like, well, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait, 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 I have to do what? I have to go to a university and be trained? I have 15 years of experience, I don't need that. You will get that vibe immediately of what you're dealing with. So take all the stuff we do, smear it up on the wall and talk to your applicants about it before you hire them. Because it's something that other offices don't do and it's about this. Companies that enable employees to gain skills and experiences that they need to realize their ambitions, right? And achieve a promising future. One of the things we're working with you is trying to advance you in your organization. We want you to be, if you want to become a leader, we want to help you to become a leader. If you want to run a division, run a division, whatever that might be. Um, such firms will challenge their employees and champion their professional growth. So every time your doctor invites you to something, I need you to get what they're doing. They're championing your professional growth. And one person would say, well, I don't want to do that, right? The mediocre person would be like, well, why would I want to take an hour out of my schedule to learn how to retain talent? Well, that's because you got a mediocre person. They really don't care. Whereas a talented person gets on, learns the material and says, oh, this is fantastic. I am being developed. I am getting new skills. I am getting new information. I am getting, you're not gonna get this information. Trust me, you can go, you can feel free to wander the streets for the rest of your life. You think they're gonna teach you this stuff I'm teaching you? It ain't gonna happen. Because people don't know it. So it's a gift. And that's what the talented person wants they, they want to be able to go learn something and then show that, you know, I can learn something and then I can apply it. And you guys have to be careful that you're not always asking permission to apply everything. Sometimes just take initiative for God's sakes. You know, it's like sometimes the people will put a folder, somebody the other day, this folder. I was like, what do you think I'm going to do with this folder? Like, I'm going to read your folder. And, no, like keep moving the thing, girl. Like do something with it. Don't just learn it. So your job here is not to say, not to learn this and then say, well, I'm just waiting for the doctor to give me permission. No, your job is to figure out what you can put in place and just take the initiative and do it. So 
we have to have a process. So what we learned from Nick Saban is he said, everyone thinks Nick Saban's a great coach. He said, well, I think I'm okay, but my trick is I just only coach talented people. He said, I do not coach untalented people, okay? So you need to remember, when you're coaching people, if you're coaching them and they're not responding and they're not talented, quit wasting, I mean, like eventually you give up, okay? Sorry, you have to realize that. And then you go spend your time on the people that are coachable, all right? And, and then you learn to develop an entire team of coachable people. So if you've been with the Scheduling Institute, if, you're, if you've been with us a long time, I will guarantee that the culture in your office is probably quite pleasant and that you have maybe not a lot of negativity and uh, maybe just a couple and you've got to handle that. Um, but if you're new, you could have a whole office of negative people that we got to get fixed. We got to... We gotta tell them the new expectation, change it. And then the trick here is don't let people in. So we did a, an HR track in our university in 2019 on how we train people. And we put them in a fishbowl, train them and train them and train them and train them and only let them in the culture after they've, we've, they've gone through a process. We found a lot of offices, they hire the person, plop them right on the floor and there's no incubation period where you get to determine whether everything they said was true or not. So most offices we've discovered, it's higher right to the floor. And then once you do that, I mean, we, you do it for, for speed, but it, it's a little hard to take back anything that they screw up. So you guys have to understand that. If your plan is hire them, put them in, then you got to watch them so that they don't screw something up. And, and, and it's harder to go pull them back out than it is to never let them in. And so got to have a process for developing talented people. So I won't, I'll spend a little bit of time on this, but so a few things that I would typically look for. So look, number one, and you should be preaching this inside of your organization and and it should start as you begin recruiting, but attitude you know, starts with an A, beginning of the alphabet. Attitude is the magic word. If you said, Jay, what is the number one thing you want? That's what I want. And man, it is so easy to see when that goes south because it's all right here. And I mean, you know, I have, I have a very visceral reaction to negative attitudes. I remember one time we had this office that we, we were in shared space. And I would be going, you had to go to a, like a bathroom, you know, like for the whole office. So you go out in the hall and I remember I would wave to the person, say hi, and they would just not put their head up. And then I would, they, when they were down the hall, I gave them another, no, I'm just kidding. But I was like, I was kind of like, what the heck? And um, I found out that everybody I found that everyone on the floor below us or the, down the hall, that the company was going bankrupt. So I guess they were not happy, right? But it was just so noticeable, right? And I was like, well, I wonder why they went bankrupt, you know? Hmm, I'm wondering which one came first, the crappy attitude or the, the bankruptcy, right? It was like, because you don't really know. So you, attitude is, so as a leader, you need to be modeling attitude. And that is good attitude in a crappy situation. There's nothing better than a crappy situation and a great attitude. 
And listen, we're all human. We're all going to crack every once in a while and you're going to have a bad day. And I get all that. This is about the habit. And so I'm just going to be encouraging you that attitude checks are very easy. The second thing that I use a lot is what we call a cheeseburger test. And because of time, I got to be a little abbreviated with this. Um, and at some point, I'd love to know how long I've been going because I probably have a limit on this. If somebody will, okay, we're an hour in and I'm nowhere near everything I wanted to teach you guys. So the cheeseburger test is, I'm going to simplify it for you. Okay. Would you mind taking this pen, placing it on the third shelf on the right hand? So you go to my desk, go to the right, put this on the third shelf up because that's where I always keep it. And so, you know, you send someone to do an assignment, very specific, you know, it almost sounds like a joke. You walk in, pens on the first shelf. Hmm. Okay. It's like a warning light. Hey, would you take this and would you file it in the file that says great ideas? And it's in the third cabinet to the right. <laughs> so, okay. So, Again, yours would be, here's how you organize the equipment. Here's how you organize a room. Okay. You get a very clear assignment. They did that wrong. A person who does something wrong, they'll do everything wrong. A person who does something right tends to do everything right. So if I can ever get that testing done before I put them on the payroll, oh, so good. And that's why sometimes when you interview people, you make them do specific things to see if they can follow directions. And God forbid, if they can't follow directions while they're not on the payroll, imagine if you start paying them, they're not going to follow directions. We like tests. We like matching talent to opportunities. Um, critical that, you know, you know, do you get it? Do you want it? Do you have the capacity that you... You make sure that if you have a job and the job is to be there at seven, you know, you got to say to the person, look, you have to be here at seven and you can't leave the door open that you might change it for them before you hire them. Otherwise, they're going to show up at 715 every day. So being very upfront about those things and then obviously creating a lot of tracking. So these are some tools that I found to be very helpful. And every time I, I, uh, I violate these, it ends up being a bit of a disaster. Um, and I've had to have, I mean, I can remember one time I had this cousin who came to work for me and I gave him cheeseburger tests and it was just like, I was like, oh my gosh, this is a problem. And I was like, I got to get him out of here because he, he just, he'll never know how to follow a direction. So number three, um, a bigger vision. So the most capable job prospect wants to work at a company. I'm trying to read this thing to you. So they, uh, where they can make a difference. So where they can make a difference. They prefer to be part of something important, meaningful, and worthwhile in an environment where efforts line up. You know, and I got to tell you something, and I've, I've preached this to all your doctors at one point or another, and I've said, listen, there's two sides to your business. There's the side where, you know, you think about the industry and you go to your workshops and you're, you learn your clinical things and you know you follow process and you organize the room a certain way and you know, all this stuff 
But it's funny, on the other side of the business is you got actual real humans who come in and have problems and you solve their problems. So, and I've, all, I've always said, you know, the way in healthcare, the way we need to treat this, so we're in the business of changing, making people better and practices better. And I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of letters I've received over the years from all kinds of different clients and all kinds of different people. I've saved every single one of them. And if I ever get a little down on anything, I'll pull those files out and man, I read those letters and it's like, such a great job. <laughs> I can't do anything else. I love this. I mean, it's a letter and it is like, J.I., when I started with you, I got to be honest, I was struggling to pay the bills and I used the last hundred dollars I had to come to your event. I could barely pay for a hotel room and 10 years later and I'm on vacation in the Bahamas for two weeks and my practice has broken a record. I'm a better dad or mom. I mean, I'm just telling you, like, I, that's what we do. We don't do all this other stuff. And I want to involve my team in that and get them to understand that and understand them that it is meaningful life work, which if they do it, they will receive those same benefits. You know, and it's like what I'm telling you today, if you learn this and you apply it to you, it's going to benefit you dramatically. And, and, and if you think it doesn't apply to you, then, you know, you're not going to learn anything. But there's two sides of everything I'm showing you. You, you know, and so the question I have is this, is, 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 is if I worked in your office today, and let's say you're a 5X office, now remember, going five times, okay, that's a thing. That's fine. But we gotta put something behind that. Like, well, what, what are we gonna do when we go five times? Are we, gonna, are we gonna donate some money to build a free clinic? Are we gonna go on a mission trip? Are we gonna, uh, what are we gonna do? Like, how's this gonna benefit somebody? And then are we really bringing back the patient? So listen, I've bought plenty of makeovers for people and I know how it changes their life. So when a client comes in and has a makeover done and you change the way they, they now can smile and open up their mouth, do you ever bring them back and parade them in front of the team and say, give us, tell us what it was like when you got this fixed, when you walked out of here and you could open your mouth and proudly show your teeth. What happened? Man, I got a husband, I got a job, I got friends, it was great. Like sometimes you wouldn't even believe what those stories are. And, and I need to make sure that you are telling that side of the story of the work you do. And it isn't just like, well, hi, this is Nurse Ratchet. You know, what, what type of insurance do you have? You know, that's not what the business is about. There's got to be some meaning. And, and are you guys connected with that? Why? And here's the difference. Because you could go get a job if it's a dental office. There's hundreds of thousands of dental offices. That's no big deal. You're the office that actually takes the time to get the person to realize that this is actual meaningful work and we're gonna let you see what it's like by taking the time to bring that patient back every once in a while and hear their story. Because again, truthfully, the part about the doing the work is like the difficult part. Hearing the complaint about the person saying, I wish my insurance paid more. Listen, all that's the nuisance part of the business is but every business has that. But what is the meaning in your business? And I want to encourage you. That's why, for instance, we, we do things like this. We ask people to make these kind of diagrams, right? Because truthfully, you know, at the, at the, you know, 
if the, if the business does well, we want other things to happen well so that, because listen, businesses don't implode, people implode. So purpose, okay? So if you guys have, you, you, if you're in 5X, you should have something called an impact diagram. And that impact diagram should be on the wall. And when you tour a new person, you should explain it to them. So if, if you were gonna come to the work at the Scheduling Institute, and I would say, okay, well, I have a program, and this is what I do, and, and it's designed to create margin of time and money for our clients, and then we work on all of these circles, and actually some of these are very specific and very financially important to the relationship, but then some of them we just encourage as a, at, because we think it's what, what is best for the, the people. So we encourage them to be healthy. We encourage them to become generous. We encourage them to develop faith or a purpose in life, uh, to connect it to their business. We want them to have the, the goal is to have the best team in town. And that means you gotta treat them the best, right? And keep treating them the best, okay? So again, you get kind of the drill here, purpose. I don't front with this, but it's behind what we do. And that would be, would be the way that you would do it. Practice vision, you know, that's why they wanna be involved in what is the vision for the practice, right? Um, okay, so let's do this. Because of the sake of time, I think I'm gonna take one last thing and we're gonna talk about it and we'll get you guys back. So we have a little thing here it's called, and it was on where you went to download it, and I thought it would be a little cheat sheet for you. So this is something that would allow you like a tactical tool to check in with people, okay? And I wanna talk about it. So when you look at this, first of all, in the middle is, uh, is what we call a mentality. And I wanna remind you of this, that so what is interesting is how you process your past. So a lot of people don't know this, but when you look backwards, you want to measure your progress, okay? So measure your progress. So when you're, when you're dealing with a person and you're trying to retain a talented person, there are three things we got to keep everybody on point with. Is one, are we processing the past correctly? And about nine out of 10 times people are not. So what that means is it could be situations in the past, what happened, they, they, they are wrong about it, and processing it allows you to get together on it. So I find almost in every conversation with any team member, if I go back and process the past, usually they don't have it right. And, I, and I'll give you an example. At the end of every quarter, we, like, we talk about rocks. And if they didn't get their rock, usually they're upset and I, I will go back and say, hey, listen, you know, this was a really ambitious goal. Uh, what percentage are, did you get to finish? This uh, 72%. And I was like, okay, so, so is this the most progress you've ever made on this goal in any other 90-day period of time? Well, yeah, okay. So I said, why are you not singing and dancing? And they're like, well, because I didn't get the rock. Okay, is this Mrs. Smith's, you know, is this your worst teacher's class that we're in? Because I don't think so. You should be celebrating your progress, not upset you didn't get your rock. 
And that's understand when you're when you're managing people, you've got to understand how to go back and process what happened correctly. It's the same thing. If somebody gets a bad result, right, in the past, I say, well, well, why did you get that result? I have no idea. Well, wait, wait a minute. Okay. You have no idea. I said, well, what did you do to try to get the result? Do you know what it would take to get the result? Well, no. Okay, well then then how could you have done what it would take? So why don't you just figure out what it would take and try that? And then I wouldn't be surprised if it changes. Well, okay. See, because they're not processing the past correctly. Uh, write this down. Everybody, including you, needs help processing the past. Then you go to present. Like, let me tell you this right now. I, was, I did a, a podcast last week, and, and it was about goals. And, I, and, and, you know, I think a lot of people, because of the pandemic, have, number one, they didn't have goals before the pandemic, so now they really don't have them. But the question is, is what the heck are your goals? So, like, are you going to take this goal and it's going to be recruit, retain top talent? I need that to be your goal. Like, if you work in this area, that's your goal. And, that, and, and literally, like, N -n nothing. And then all of a sudden, you know what happens? Your managers look better because it's easier to manage people who are talented. So do you, you know, so if I'm talking to somebody, I'm saying, well, you know, okay, well, tell me what you're working on now. Are you engaged in the present? You currently have things to do. Because here's the deal. If a talented person doesn't have things to do, you got a problem. Then I got to go, okay, well, what do you see happening in the future? And so this is kind of a little bit of a cheat sheet for that. And, and then you could have, listen, these are the things people track. Their work anniversary, okay? So write that down. You should know the work anniversary of every single person who works for you. I remember I had this one lady who worked for me. I mean, she gave me a gift on her work anniversary. That's how important that day was. Dolores Shaver. I didn't know if it was, I was like, wow, okay. And I felt bad because I actually <laughs> didn't know it. <laughs> I don't know if she's giving it to make me feel guilty or what, but maybe you could help me process my past a little bit here, right? Like, I mean, but, it, but that's how important it was to her. Next is birthdays. And here's what I need you to remember. Listen to me. Birthdays. The tens and the fives, people freak out. So if you want to know how to retain people, like, okay, person gets to 30. Ah! Like, some people just flip out. So again, how do I retain them? They have to have a future. If they don't have a future with me, then they flip out at their 30th birthday and think, I should go work somewhere else. Right? Or in 35 and then 40. It goes every age is that, that way. That's why it's so important that they have some, they, have, they feel good about where they're going in the future or working towards something. What are the family notes? What are the kids' names? Kids have health problems? No. What sports? These are all things you want to know about your people. Um, do they, I mean, are their parents alive or dead? Um, or in prison? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, right? Like, those are probably important things that could affect their life. What motivates them? You know, maybe when I check in. If you have things like Strength Finder or Colby, right, that would be good. 
So that's a little bit of a, a cheat for you. And this is a circular system. And so what I'm always checking in on is the health of someone's mentality and trying to help them develop this wheel. And what, so what happens is when, when you, if you think about, and by the way, not everybody is as disciplined like this as I would be, but it's a great way for you to kind of think about um, if you take a person and you said, okay, take a name of a person you're struggling with. And then, you know, you grab the sheet and you say, okay, let's see here. Okay, so what do I know about Mary's past? Hmm. Great attitude, superstar, uh, always willing to do things. Fantastic. Great. Okay. What is Mary's current state of mind? Hmm. I don't know. What are Mary's goals? Hmm. Don't know. So you go to Mary and say, Mary, what do you? So one thing you want to say is, do you have a system? So if if like if you work for me, I would have your quarterly rocks written. And I would go and I'd pull up your quarterly rocks. You'd have things that you were doing. Then the tricky one is like, how do they feel about the future? And this is the hardest one for like people I, in my organization. I, people are challenged. With this is like. So a person's future is continued development and challenge. So the biggest mistake we make is if you have a talented person and you don't give them more work, they get bored. And it's funny, a lot of people will not understand that. So the talent, the most talented person needs to get a lot of work because they, they thrive in that environment. So what do we want to do? One. COVID, the pandemic, rattled trust. So regaining trust, whatever that takes in your organization, I need your help with that. You know better than I what happened. I don't know everything. I've told every doctor, no matter what happened, there was no perfect way to do the pandemic, regain trust. Two, safety, super important right now, still staying diligent with processes that need to be followed, but also understanding we got to conduct business. Three, sometimes in retaining talent, you need to have advancement conversations, compensation conversations, and every once in a while with a really talented person, you got to, if they want to keep making more money, they got to change jobs. And you got to know how to navigate that conversation where how they can bring in more value. You want to make sure today that your training schedules are lined up. And these are things that I've I asked people to do, clients to do that you can help with because having those trainings set up is developing human capital, which is what also retains them by the way and challenges them. Do we have a good meeting structure? or meeting rhythm. Believe it or not, when you talk about retaining talent, one of the ways you do it is by establishing a meeting rhythm so that I never get completely out of communication with you. So if, if you work for me and I'm the CEO of the company and you don't have a reason to be in my office and I never do a meeting with you, that's going to have an effect on our relationship. 
Now, I can't meet with everybody every day because I can't do my job, but you got to set a meeting rhythm. And so remember, sometimes we get very preoccupied with the least productive people and we ignore the most productive, low maintenance people. That's why you have meeting rhythms. I do not want to ignore my high performers. I do not want to spend all my time with the whiny people. <laughs> Is that, you get what I'm saying? So we all feel this compassion. I mean, if somebody is at the door running their fingers down the, you know, the, the board saying, I need help, you know, your natural tendency is to give them attention. And the one who's over here getting it done, sometimes it's easy to ignore them. So the, one of the big mistakes we make, I want you to do that right now. Write down who your highest performing people are and just do a gut check and say, when is the last time I had a talk with these people? When is the last time I checked in with them? When is the last time I praised them a little bit? And I want you to do that. Very easy. And, that, and, that, and then again, you know, we think about it. That's why, we, that's why we go back to having, why we do all team meetings. Get that common, what did it say? People want to work in an organization where everyone is lined up. They're in alignment with their efforts. Alignment. Okay, gotta start recruiting, not just in the free places, okay? I always tell people, everybody's like, I can't hire anybody. I said, well, where are you getting them? Craigslist, I can't get anyone to respond on Craigslist. I was like, is that free? They're like, yeah. It's like, okay, well, what do you say you get to the paid sites? I mean, I don't know if the most talented people go to every free site, like that's the greatest thing in the world, right? I'm pretty sure that, you know, that's like, it's like, well, we ran up, we, we, were in, we stood at the bus stop at the Greyhound station and we couldn't find any talented people. I don't know what happened. You get it? Make sure you're recruiting in the right places. And remember recruiting, and if you're having trouble recruiting, up the reward. Up team member reward. Like I got to check. I was talking to somebody, they referred somebody in. I want to make sure they got paid something for that in our company. I want to make sure or visit mine. Okay. Get fun back in the office. Rebuild confidence. And these are things that we got to make sure we're doing that, it, that if you don't do, you're probably going to lose someone because of it. So we're putting everything back in place at a nice consistent pace. Okay. So that's a lot for you to do. But first, I need you to say, I can develop and retain talent. And that's what I'm going to do. And now you got to go off, start working on that journey and then make it a priority and then add it to the culture. Because what you guys have to understand is, and remember, if I, I say this almost in every workshop. I say, does anybody have a person they really should have fired a long time ago? And the doctor's like, ah, they raise their hand. So I'm gonna tell this to you, I'll close with you. If you got a person who you should have fired, now again, we always do the right thing before we get rid of, we put all the effort we can in. But listen, if not removing them from the premises is incongruent with hiring and developing top talent. <laughs> it just, 
The two don't work. So the bottom of your organization, you got to coach them to get out of the bottom. And if not, you got to get them out and you got to bring in new people. And so part of retaining people is them knowing that you have the capacity to replace them immediately. And don't, don't, I, you don't walk around and say, hey, you know I could replace you immediately with a faster, uh, more flexible, uh, efficient version at a cheaper price. You know, that's not what you say. But the power of developing the capacity to recruit people says that by itself. And I think a lot of people got a little rattled in the pandemic and, you know, Listen, I think there's going to be a lot of employee movement. I think if you need to develop talent, now's the time. The hospitality industry was pumped, you know, blown up. You know, you think about the people you want to work in your office, it is hospitality is almost like a, that, that would be a fantastic area to recruit people from. So get out there and have some fun with this thing and have a fantastic day. Take care. Bye. This October, come see Jay Geyer live in Atlanta, Georgia, and learn how to build a culture that will give you the ultimate competitive advantage and put your practice into a category of one. Because having a successful business is not about being number one, it's about being in a class of your own, being incomparable to any other business in town. Learn more at SICultureFest.com and secure your seats before we sell out.